It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Testing, testing. I hope you're hearing me okay. The reason I say that is apparently everybody in the world is going online because so many of us are stuck at home and also doing meetings with Zoom and some of these other apps, I don't know, Google Hangout, uh, that the internet has slowed down. And if you, I just saw some statistics here, 38% uh, download speed reduction in San Jose, the kind of birthplace of Silicon Valley, 24% in New York, in New York, according to Broadband Now, YouTube has been reducing the size of its video files to try to unclog the internet. The quality, obviously, a little uh, worse. So if you're hearing me like this, it's not my fault. I'm speaking to you the same as I always do. Also interesting, TikTok. Uh, I've mentioned before, one of my daughters is just obsessed with TikTok, with making TikTok videos. Huge, massive following um, among uh, teenagers, preteens, younger people generally, uh, Chinese company, which is ironic. Uh, uh, TikTok launching its own original programming. It doesn't usually do this. Um, this is, I guess, every day for, I don't know, an hour or whatever. Happy at home hashtag. Uh, motivation Monday. Some inspirational words from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Edu talk with Bill Nye, the science guy. Q&As with the World Health Organization. Huh. I don't know how that, what kind of ratings it's getting, but it sounds like a good thing for TikTok to do. Uh, meanwhile, before I get down to business, uh, Joe Biden appears to be blowing off the last debate, the final 12th scheduled debate with Bernie Sanders. And, you know, all he has to do is not show up. What's Bernie going to do? I think Biden can make the case, not just that he's kind of got this thing wrapped up, but that haven't we had enough debates in the middle of this crisis? I don't think he'll get a lot of blowback on that, except perhaps from Bernie. Um, also, uh, I always say this now when I sit down that I've just been watching Andrew Cuomo and more stories about him. Uh, I've talked about how the New York Times every day does a piece about how he's become this national figure, getting far more attention than Joe Biden, by the way. So there's now talk of a draft Cuomo movement. Uh, you know, in other words, he's made such a positive impression while Biden has kind of faded, even though he's done some TV appearances this week, uh, that maybe the, the Democratic Party, particularly if something happens where Biden has seemed to have seriously stumbled, uh, we'll turn to the New York governor as its nominee. Another New York versus New York showdown with Donald Trump. Except, you know, Biden will have amassed so many delegates that that will be virtually impossible. I think this is just pundits uh, bored, stuck at home. <laughs> they want a brokered convention, whatever. I also want to read a few of the comments that some of you leave on Apple iTunes. I always say you can... Uh, comment on the podcast uh, on Twitter or on Apple iTunes. Uh, getting a lot of uh, love lately. Alfonso333, most balanced show out there, he says. I adore this podcast. It is the best political commentary out there. Howie Kurtz is the most balanced, politically balanced uh, commentator. He doesn't pick a side. He just reports the news. What's amazing is that he can be that balanced and be fun to listen to still. Well, thank you, Alfonso. He also says he's not crazy about the ads. I mean, who likes ads? I should read them. I should read the copy. That's a decision made above my pay grade, but we can look into it. Uh, M.D. Mayer, M-A-E-I-R, love this podcast. It's informative, entertaining, not polarized. Too rare these days. I'm curious of how he thinks Biden should give more interviews because I never see him anymore. Well, he has just started, as I said. I've been saying for a year that Joe Biden should do more interviews. Much, much of the campaign, he played it safe. He did very, very few. He didn't even go on MSNBC much. 
Then uh, when he fell behind and everyone was saying he was toast, he did start to appear more uh, on television. He did The View the other day. He's been on CNN and MSNBC. I, I know his staff wants to protect him because when he does interviews, sometimes he stumbles or he has these non sequitur sentences or he says something that he shouldn't say. But, you know, you got to take that risk. You got to be out there. You don't get to be president without engaging with the media, whether you think the media are fair or not. Uh, one more here from Joe Sav, S-A-V, very good podcast. Not only does HK do a very good job of being objective, he reads directly from the transcripts of the events he covers so as not to add any bias. Thank you for doing that, Howard. You are welcome. I also want to thank you, those of you who watch Media Buzz. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not. Um, but a few weeks ago, we broke the $2 million Excuse me, the two million viewer mark. I don't get paid by the dollar for every viewer. And then on Sunday, we had more than three million viewers. Uh, this is even in the parts that were not interrupted by Governor Cuomo. And I know everybody's ratings are up, and there's obviously huge interest uh, in info and news right now. And um, people are stuck at home and all of that. But still, that's an enormous audience for our MADA show, and I really appreciate it. And we try to live up uh, to what we say we're going to do, which is provide fair and balanced commentary, analysis, and have guests who have diverse points of view. Which leads me to story number one, uh, the lamestream media. That was actually coined by Sarah Palin. I thought it was a clever um, verbiage on her part. The president has now been picking that up. But President Trump, and look, there's nothing new here in one sense, which is for five years, I'm talking back to the 2015 and 2016 campaign in the three plus years he's been president of the United States, he has battled the media. He has accused the media of being unfair, of being fake news, of being the enemy of the people, even at times suggesting that journalists are traitors. But I'm stunned, or taken aback, maybe be a better way to put it, by his latest attacks on the press. First comes the tweet, the lamestream media is the dominant force in trying to get me to keep our country closed as long as possible in the hope it will be detrimental to my election success. And then at the uh, at yesterday's um, Q&A after the coronavirus news conference uh, during it, a uh, reporter asked, uh, I believe this was CBS's Paula Reed, sir, economists and lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have said that reopening the country by Easter is not a good idea. What is that plan based on? Uh, he hasn't said he's going to do it. He doesn't have the power to do it. It's mostly up to the governors. But he said we, he would like to see it happen by Easter. He'd like to see the churches full. And he said, well, we all would like that. But a lot of medical experts, the consensus is that would be too soon. Uh, in terms of the risks to Americans, in terms of flattening the so-called curve of this coronavirus. Uh, so Trump says in response, I think there are certain people who would like to do, like it, meaning the economy, to do financially poorly because they think that would be very good as far as defeating me at the polls. And he just comes out and says the media um, you know, want uh, the economy to, to stay in the tank to defeat me at the polls. And then he tells the CBS reporter, it's very clear that there are people in your profession that write fake news. You do. She does. I don't know who, who he was pointing to. So here's the other line. The media would like to see me do poorly in this election. Well, if you take that as a, as a standalone comment, it's hard for me not to acknowledge that a lot of certainly commentators, but a lot of journalists, the way they report on Trump, the tone they use against his president, they would like to see him defeated. They, in fact, they think that he is failing the biggest test of his presidency. By the way, maybe there's a media bubble here because the latest poll I think I mentioned yesterday was from Gallup. 60% of Americans 
approve of the job that Donald Trump is doing in battling the coronavirus, 49% job approval overall. So I don't think there's any question that the journalists who do this for a living, most of them, many of them, uh, particularly the commentators, but not limited to that, think that the president was way too slow uh, to respond to the virus when it first reared its ugly head, uh, was way too optimistic, would say things like, we've got it under control, it's only five, five people, it's only one guy in China, then gave him some grudging credit when he kind of shifted gears, this would have been last week, and talked about uh, supporting the governors and shutting down the economy and social distancing and you know gearing up FEMA and gearing up the hospital ships and all of that. But now that he has said that he would like to see, he thinks this can happen sooner than many experts believe. By experts, I mean people who are infectious disease experts, epidemiologists, people like Anthony Fauci. Um, Now I think there's a bit of a backlash in the media saying, you know, he's worried about the economy, he's worried about the stock market, and so he is now shifting course too quickly. Now, maybe all these journalists are wrong, but I think it's unfair for the president to say that they want the economy to stay in the toilet to just make sure that Donald Trump is defeated. And here's why. I talked about yesterday about the people. Uh, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, more detail about the journalists I know who are battling this virus. But, you know, journalists are in the same situation as everyone else. We've all lost money, huge amounts of money on our 401ks if we have that kind of retirement fund. We're all, most of us, working from home. Uh, We all, if we have kids, have them home from school, most of us. We all can't go to a movie or a theater or eat in a restaurant or watch sports on TV. Um, You know, journalists have platforms, and I know a lot of people don't like the media, and I know many of us have lost the media's trust, and I talk about that all the time. But we don't want to see the economy frozen forever. I mean, some journalists are being laid off or facing pay cuts. This is particularly true in the smaller markets, but BuzzFeed is cutting salaries for everyone up to the top management. Um, All of this economic slowdown means people have less money to spend, obviously. So journalists are hurt by this just like civilians, just like ordinary human beings. And uh, I think it's important to point that out. And I don't think it's fair. It's fine for the president to hit back. He's the president of the United States. He can say whatever he wants. But he's basically saying, you all want to keep this uh, economy shut down, not because you believe it's the right thing to do or you think that bringing, reopening all these institutions too quickly would result in thousands of additional deaths from the coronavirus, but because you want me to lose. And I don't think that is fair. I don't think journalists are that heartless. And I don't think journalists are immune from what's going on. All right, story number two. Uh, So here's a piece uh, by John Harris at Politico. He was one of the founders of Politico. And as I've said, I think he's emerged as a really interesting voice uh, as a columnist, whether you um, agree with him or not. So he talks about how this crisis has changed the Trump presidency, and that's pretty obvious. But he says that Trump is often called an authoritarian. And he says a leader bent on amassing personal power and undermining constitutional democracy in ways that would last beyond his presidency, which under the worst scenarios, he might even try Vladimir Putin style to extend illegally if he loses in November, that that's sort of one of the knocks on Trump, that he's an authoritarian. But this notion of Trump as an authoritarian strongman, says John Harris, has been cast in an odd light in this pandemic. Would-be tyrants use crisis to consolidate power. Trump, by contrast, has been pilloried from many quarters, including many liberals, for not asserting authority and responsibility more forcefully himself to combat COVID-19. 
Rather than seizing on a genuine emergency, Trump was slow to issue an emergency declaration, move gingerly in employing the War Production Act to help overburden local health systems, and now, even now, he says, seems eager to emphasize that many subjects, closure of schools and businesses, obtaining sufficient ventilators, are primarily problems for state governors to deal with. Now, another analysis of this is that some of these problems are intractable, and like any politician, the president doesn't want to bear the responsibility if things continue to go wrong, so he wants to push it off on the governors. Um, Harris uh, continues to say that many people think that Trump uh, you know, has an aesthetic attraction to leaders who don't let the procedural niceties of democracy or law get in the way. But actually, what this crisis has shown, at least in Harris's view, is that Trump is an authoritarian weak man, not a strong man, a weak man. And he quotes him as saying when he was asked, I guess the question was about uh, inadequate testing. This was a week or so ago. I don't take any responsibility at all, Trump said. And he likened that to George W. Bush's Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Bill Clinton, it all depends on what the meaning of is is. Now, I don't know that I completely disagree with this, but it is certainly true that if President Trump wanted to use this to increase executive power, as he did, for example, in declaring an emergency so he could divert funds to build the wall, he would have done so. But he hasn't done it. Um, And... He may have political reasons for doing that. He may think he's following the right course and it's not the job of the federal government, even in this severe crisis, to step in and start ordering companies to make ventilators, to make respirators. Some companies are doing this voluntarily, probably not enough. Um, But that's the debate over Trump. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story number three. Wow. I mean, did you see this figure this morning? The number of unemployment claims has soared to 3.3 million. It had been at what? I don't know, 700,000 or something. It just absolutely went through the roof. And that's just this week. So that tells you something about people uh, losing their jobs. Um, And I do want to say before I get into this. So the Senate, I guess somewhat late last night, finally tidied up the last remaining disagreements and approve this, what is now a $2 trillion rescue package. Um, And, um, you know, here's a couple things that pissed me off about it. First of all, the Congress can't do anything quickly. So Nancy Pelosi gave a press conference this morning. She took credit for some of the changes in the Senate. She says the House will pass this by large bipartisan majorities tomorrow. The stock market loves this. It had gone up about 2,500 points in the last two days as the prospect of Washington finally doing something, injecting more money into the economy, into people's bank accounts, uh, helping out businesses, small businesses, affected industries. And then today, it was as I'm talking to you, it's up about another 800 points, and that will last. But that's not a; it's just a fraction, maybe about a quarter of how much had been lost when the market went down 10,000 points. But it's nice to see, at least at this moment in time, going up 3,000 points. What pisses me off is Congress could do this in other circumstances. Every time there's an impasse about health care or immigration or anything else, the Democrats can give, the president can give. The Republicans can give and they can come up with compromises. They just don't do it anymore because politics is so tribal. But now in this supreme crisis that affects every single American, you see what happens when Congress absolutely positively has to compromise because the alternative is so dire that it's unthinkable. They do it. It took a couple of weeks. All right. You know, by by Senate standards, that's warp speed. Right. Um, And the Republicans had to swallow things they didn't like extended unemployment benefits and so forth, and the Democrats had to swallow things they they don't like. 
um, in ter- ter- including some of the corporate aid. And by the way, it, some pork was added to this bill. Looking here at a Washington Post piece, you know, because this was the only train leaving the station. So $13 million was tucked in for Howard University, a black college here in D.C., fine institution. $25 million for the Kennedy Center here in D.C., which is mostly federally funded. And President Trump was asked about this. And he said, well, the Democrats wanted this, although the Republicans had it in their bill, too. The Kennedy Center has suffered greatly, the president says. You know, it works that way. The Democrats have treated us fairly. I really believe we've had a very good back and forth. And I say that with respect to Chuck Schumer. Excuse me, what planet am I on? (laughs) President saying this about Chuck Schumer. Uh, And, you know, look, loading it up with pork, it's regrettable. It's not that these aren't good causes, but I bet there are performing arts centers and universities in every one of the 50 states that also could use this money. But obviously, um, being in the nation's capital, these attract a little more attention. But here's a piece in National Review. It's funny. National Review has this banner headline up. It says, Senate passes historic $2 trillion um, coronavirus stimulus package. And then the first sentence of the lead editorial right below it on the National Review website is, what is before Congress is not a stimulus bill, but the headline said stimulus. Anyway, who cares about the verbiage? Uh, The editorial goes on to say, we've often opposed stimulus bills in the past, considering it a mistake for the federal government to borrow money to expand a depressed economy. But at the moment... Says NR, the government is not trying to expand the economy or even arrest its retraction, contraction. It is principally trying to enable the temporary shutdown of much of the economy with the least humanitarian damage. And National Review gives it to both sides. Congressional Democrats, uh, the magazine says, have not risen to the occasion. They saw an opportunity to advance goals on the environment, racial diversity, Planned Parenthood funding that do not belong in this bill, whatever their merits. Some Republicans, says National Review, are also losing perspective, albeit less crassly. The fear, they fear that the expansion of unemployment insurance in the bill is too generous and will incentivize quitting or refusing to take work. Under normal circumstances, we would share this concern, but at the moment, we should be more focused on helping the unemployed, and I agree with that. I mean, a lot of people just need money right now to pay the rent, to put food on the table, particularly those who have lost their jobs or have their incomes drastically reduced. So the National Review concludes the legislation is far from perfect. It's hard to stomach, but all of this is being used to justify a bill that in a happier time nobody would consider and we ourselves would vehemently reject. A shorter way of saying that, put politics aside. This was the only way to get something done, and that is what's happening. Story number four, I want to go into a little more detail now. I talked yesterday about knowing journalists who are battling this virus. And, you know, I I say this, and I say this in a column today on foxnews.com if you want to check it out. Um, Journalists don't deserve any more sympathy or more attention just because they happen to have platforms or just because they're in the news business. And the people who are on the front lines are police officers, firefighters, Doctors, nurses, hospital workers, healthcare aides, even retail clerks who, you know, in order for us to go buy food at the store, they're there. So some of them have gloves, some of them have masks, but they are taking some risk as well. But because I'm a journalist and because I know some of these people, it's not like hearing that Prince Charles has the coronavirus. It hits home for me personally. So David Vondrelli is a guy who I work with. I shared a small New York office with decades ago, later sat near him in the Washington newsroom. He's worked for Time Magazine, Washington Post. He now has a column in the Post. And he writes that he has mild to moderate symptoms. He's had waves of fever, hard to sleep, uh, sleeping in a down jacket, teeth chattering. Um, let me just scroll down here. Uh, he said, I did not travel 
during the outbreak. He lives now in Kansas City. Uh, Vondrelli says, I don't mix in large, large groups. On second thought, there was a college basketball game. I earn my living by solitary work from my own home, and I adopted every recommended hygiene and distancing technique weeks before the president took the pandemic seriously. Bottom line, I don't know where I picked it up. It's everywhere. Um, he couldn't even get tested. Uh, and he writes at the end of the piece, it's going to be a race now to see whether I can finish this column before I pass out. And this is Ann Kornblut. She was a longtime uh, reporter and editor at the Washington Post. She's now an executive of Facebook, lives in California. And she posted this on Facebook. Um, she's got the virus. And the hardest part, she says, telling my kids to back away from me while informing them that this scary thing upending the entire planet is now inside our house, inside their mom. My daughter cried and asked if I will get better. I couldn't hug her. It was something about that. And I've read this several times. It just, you know, tears at my heartstrings. Uh, heartstrings. Her son wrote for their home newspaper. Ann Kornblut has the coronavirus, but do not worry. It is not the bad kind. Please know that you should not be within 10 feet of Ann. Uh, Ann said she called the health department. Uh, excuse me. The health department called her to inform her to stay away from everybody, including her children. So she asked, well, who was going to take care of them if my husband tests positive too? Well, the nurse said we haven't had that scenario yet. Since she posted that, her husband has tested positive for the virus. So obviously tough times in her household. We wish her, we wish Vondrelli a speedy recovery. And what really wowed me uh, is a guy I used to work with at my first job. My first job in newspapers was in New Jersey at the Bergen Record, Hackensack, New Jersey. Started out working on the night shift. That's how you did it in those days, folks. And there was a reporter there named Alan Finder, very talented writer, supremely nice guy, um, very gracious to me. I looked up to him. He just sort of reached out to me as a rookie reporter. He went on to be an editor at the New York Times, a reporter at the New York Times, a city hall bureau chief. And I found out yesterday from tweets from others at the Times that he had died from the coronavirus. He was 72. He had retired. Uh, Kevin Sack of the New York Times writing, he was a terrific reporter. Calming presence, and as anyone who knew him will attest, one of the menchiest guys around, R.I.P., and I say the same, rest in peace, Alan Finder. And also in the world of politics, I mean, I've known Amy Klobuchar for many years. Her husband, John Bessler, uh, is now in the hospital with the virus, and she can't visit him. He was hospitalized for very low oxygen levels. I know Ted Cruz. Uh, he's self-quarantined. I know uh, Rand Paul interviewed him many times. He's taken a lot of heat because he didn't, self-quarantined until he got the positive result, even though he suspected he might have the virus. Um, but he was at risk, as he writes in USA Today, because he had part of his lung removed just seven months ago. So I just wanted to bring you up to date on all of that. And uh, story number five, you know, I've had a lot of critical things to say about Kathy Griffin, the comedian, uh, especially when she uh, ended up apologizing and then taking things back because she did this routine. She hates Trump like much of the Hollywood elite. And she did this you know, this, uh, what would you call it? It was like a severed head. She held up this Trump mask uh, as if he was killed and made jokes at his expense. And it was just really awful. It was several years ago. As I said, I, I don't, I, I used to like her. I thought she was funny, but I thought that was really bad. And I was glad she apologized. She's continued. Anyway, she now has the coronavirus. Comedian Kathy Griffin said yesterday she was in a hospital coronavirus isolation ward with, quote, unbearably painful symptoms. Um, reading here from Entertainment Weekly, former uh, My Life on the D-List reality show star shared a photo, and it's a pretty tough photo to look at of her wearing a mask in a bed at what she said was a major hospital uh, emergency room. 
She said she was unable to be tested because of CDC Pence task force restrictions, but somehow she knows she has it. Maybe she meant she couldn't get tested early. And then she cited a tweet in which Trump uh, said the U.S. had done more coronavirus testing than any nation, which is not true. Kathy Griffin wrote, he's lying. Okay, so she's not putting politics aside, even as she's laying in this hospital bed with a mask. I'm still going to wish her well. Uh, I don't want this to happen to anybody. Uh, I don't want it to happen to journalists, to non-journalists, people I know, people I don't know. We're past a thousand cases now, folks, and you know it's only going to get worse because a lot of people had this virus, didn't know it because of the lack of testing. Now we're ramping up the testing. New York seems to be the epicenter, but Louisiana, I guess after Mardi Gras and the close contact there now has a skyrocketing rate said to be the fastest rate of increase in the world. And so obviously centered in New Orleans. So we wish people were there well in addition to all of that. I'm just going to do this every day. Stay on it. I hope you find it useful. I appreciate the kind notes, both email or what you say on Twitter or what you say at Apple iTunes. Uh, thank you for listening. I feel like we're all going through this together. And given the isolation and the staying at home and the struggles that we all have, it's nice to have some company. We'll see you tomorrow with more Buzzbeater. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.